Uh, this podcast is about acquiescence and um, I, I guess the glorified word would be transcendence uh, or the philosophy of non-engagement with uh, worldly realities that are uh, represent insuperable problems both to the human intellect and to the human uh, desire for fulfillment and happiness. And I want to talk about um, resignation and transcendence in relationship to a very pressing issue currently, which is the issue of predator drones in uh, United States uh, policy overseas. Uh, I have very uh, strong uh, uh, ideas uh, concerning uh, predator drones, uh, but that's not the point of this podcast. The point of the podcast is what do you do in the light of the world's uh, moving forward in a direction which you have absolutely no apparent Ability to change whatsoever, and uh, all the voices are going in the other direction. And um, if you even stop and think about it, you go crazy with um, uh, frustration and anguish over what, to you at least, and everyone has strong ideas about something, for what for you at least is a an issue of major, central, conscientious, spiritual, and ultimate importance. What do you do when you don't have a prayer, as it were, of making a change? How do you survive and live? Uh, <clears throat> do you continue to engage? Do you persevere? Do you give up? Do you move elsewhere? Do you uh, get out of the situation and really um, put the whole uh, anguish of your paralysis onto a different field of play or a different um, a different playing field of Eaton and Harrow. Now, uh, the particular reason that this uh, podcast became urgent for me is because uh, I was uh, watching um, the uh, what used to be called the McNeil Lair News Hour is simply now the News Hour uh, with uh, the various uh, uh, outstanding correspondents who conduct the NPR or PBS, I should say, uh, News Hour each night. And um, Judy Woodruff uh, did something that was really interesting. Uh, uh, to me, uh, she was uh, discussing uh, with two specialists in counterterrorism the um, uh, assassination uh, by means of a CIA predator drone of the <clears throat> extreme jihadist American born um, preacher in Yemen, uh, Al Awlaki. And um, this assassination occurred, it was successful, and two American citizens were among those killed in the drone attack. And everyone's heralding it, and the um, administration is delighted, and a great blow has been struck against the enemies of uh, of the this country. And uh, uh, they began to use what happens when um, uh, the world decides, uh, as it were, that something is right, is that people begin to use language that uh, rationalizes, or language that sanitizes, or language which uh, prevents us from having to confront the downside or the darker side of what we've done. So we immediately start using <clears throat> language. Uh, and I've talked about this often uh, in podcasts, and you all know it, that uh, that's one of the most interesting things about fashion in language, is that language becomes a bearer of a some kind of a, of a, of a need to uh, either cover over or deliver a message or somehow state something in such a way that it can presumably be heard in a non-defensive way. Well, as she was speaking to two uh, fellows who seemed to be embracing this, although I'll give uh, uh, the uh, uh, the younger man the credit, at the end he questioned the use of predator drones to assassinate uh, American citizens. I would say 
let alone anybody, without any kind of process or trial. In other words, these are these are judicial ex- not extrajudicial executions. That was the old word. Targeted assassination is another word, but this is the word that I noticed they were using. Well, uh, this is very important that the administration said one of these speakers has removed a an operational threat. And as long as we understand that Al-Laki was an operational threat as opposed to an ideological threat, uh, that becomes um, – you, you won't have as much unease in removing an operational threat. And isn't that interesting? A person becomes an operational threat. Well, that he probably was. I'm not denying that at all. The character of this man's message, I'm not denying for a second. I'm simply talking about the way the language is. But anyway, they started using the word now that the United States has removed this person. Well, a little later in the conversation, uh, Judy Woodruff came back and said, well, now that we've, uh, she said something like we've, she used another word rather than removed, and then she corrected herself, and she said, uh, now that we've removed this particular individual, da-da-da-da-da, does that mean that there will be someone to take his place, or that there are other people waiting in the wings, or have we therefore hobbled um, al-Qaeda by removing? But I noticed that she changed her uh, verb uh, to remove, and I thought to myself, I said to Mary, I said, you know, golly, remove, that's a great word. I mean, think of all the people that you'd like to remove. You know, what if predator drones could be used to um, to implement, um, you know, Paul Zoll's strategy for making the earth a, a better place or making the town of Winter Garden, Florida, a more sanctified environment from his point of view? Wouldn't it be great if he could remove such and such a person? And I could simply say, well, we just had to, you know, such and such a person was very obnoxious or represented a point of view that I really detested or was part of a change in the community that was negative in my opinion and therefore um, I found a way to remove such a person. Now notice remove is quite different from saying murder or execute or even uh, a person becoming the victim of, an, of a non-judicial execution which is, is would be a formally correct view or um, taking out you know these are all that's another word that sort of uh, I always struck struck me uh, removing out these are words that uh, seem to be sanitized you could also say that the United States um, uh, completely uh, uh, was untrue to the uh, Fifth Amendment uh, let alone the first uh, the, 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 no one shall be deprived of life without due process I mean this was not just sort of for American citizens people who didn't live in Guantanamo I mean all America this was not devised as a uh, as a, a boundary marker for simply those who held American passports. It was designed by the Founding Fathers as a great statement of that which was just and true in life. It was an enlightened statement of the human condition that you cannot, as was believed to have happened and had happened in Europe in all sorts of different contexts, you cannot take away man's life and limb without due process. There has to be some kind of a trial. And so this was built into the United States Constitution and has been a founding, uh, certainly until recently, uh, of foundation of, of the American notion of human rights, that you cannot deprive a person of life, even it's in, though it's citizens, it's, it's a universal statement of an ideal that a government cannot uh, deprive a person of life without some kind of trial or process. It's simply habeas corpus, the same thing. You can't keep someone in jail without charging her or him. Well, do you see what I'm saying? Um, 
we, 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 this is not going to be my point. The point of the exercise is not what I happen to think about this because I'm in a very small minority, as far as I can tell. Um, the fact that uh, we have, as uh, what was his name, Glenn Greenwald on Salon, a brilliant uh, uh, blog post, which I believe was um, uh, yesterday, which would be the. Uh, the uh, uh, 30th of September 2011, he said not only has America uh, completely um, uh, gone against its core uh, understanding in the Constitution of the Bill of Rights by uh, doing this particular kind of uh, justice, as the President said, justice was delivered to Osama bin Laden. Not as not only have we gone against that and against uh, uh, the, for the, the, the whole drift and tilt explicitly of the Constitution, which is, uh, was written in blood by people who fought for these great principles. Um, uh, but um, we, uh, it, it, he said the most extraordinary thing is that people will stand up and cheer. Uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald very rightly said the, the most uh, interesting fact is that the vast majority of people will consider this a good thing, that uh, the government is to be given credit for having done this, which is so contrary to the entire history of r r judicial rights in uh, 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 this country. It's why people came here in the first place from Northern Ireland. Ireland and under Archbishop Laud, you know, and all these people who created the the uh, the desire to be free, free men and women that caused us to be the so-called city in a hill. Well, he just said the fact is, A, not only have we done what we've done in complete contravention to our deepest values, and this is, in fact, I believe, unarguable, um, although they would say that under threat we had the right to do it, and I understand that argument, but it's simply not a traditional argument that's been used explicitly before to um, bless this kind of thing. And secondly, the fact that the vast majority of people don't uh, accept this for a second. Now, that's what I find most interesting. Here I find myself, I'm just one person who's written a little bit about this in the Providence Journal, and then uh, in April, and then in uh, Christianity Today. And uh, I, I can, with the exception of some Mennonites and some Quakers, uh, I, I see so few and some lovely Episcopal Peace Fellowship people, and I know there are many others. Uh, I, I don't see in the mainstream, on the left or the right, this view being understood. So Greenwald had a real point. Look at that blog post. So the question here actually uh, is twofold. First, notice the word remove. Uh, here's a very fine person, <clears throat> a very uh, astute and thoughtful journalist uh, who actually in the middle of her questioning shifts to use the new word removal, just as we use other words now that I've talked about, scramble and rattle and brace, and that's, those are minor things. But now um, we remove a person. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that's what you do. You, you take any word that might be disgusting or alienating or even sound immoral, or let's use the word better, unethical, and you simply put another word in there, which is value-free, uh, like uh, remove. This, this is why I've talked about the word stunning. Stunning now is the big word for simply something that maybe is bad, but you can't say it's bad because you'll offend someone, so you simply say it's stunning, which seems to be neutral. Well, the same is true of remove, but that's a far more striking case. Stunning case of it is her use of the word remove there because it it, it, it involves a shift in uh, a, 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 a verb, which... Uh, there are many other words that could be used for what this country uh, did, no matter what the offense. I mean, the, the, the offense is not the issue. The the simple statement, as Greenwald said, you 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 in a situation like this, you capture a man, which can be done. You take him back to this country and you try the man and if he is found guilty, you sentence him to death. I myself do not believe in capital punishment, but. 
you either sentence him to death, if that's what the law is, or you um, you put him in prison for the rest of his life and take him out of society. Uh, but um, you don't do it without some form of process that is measures up to the word uh, trial. Well, um, my point uh, is uh, not uh, here the question of uh, drones. And uh, I've written about that, and uh, uh, I have very strong feelings, but that's not really the point. The point is, what do you do when you find yourself running in radical dissidence from the overwhelming cultural norms of the society in which you live, and you've, you've made this point before, you've said something, and no one, apparently, with a few lovely exceptions, as you see it, agrees with you, and most people think you're crazy and a nut and off the charts because you dare to challenge what seems to be a cost-free to America way to remove our enemies without um, the loss of any American life. So that argument wins and you're out in the cold and you uh, and the, the, the more you say it, the worse it gets. Or the more you think it, the, you, you suddenly find very sane people using words like remove. Well, um, what uh, this really makes me think about is how do you deal with any form of uh, cultural dissonance, which is based on what you believe are moral or ethical norms, uh, which are rooted in your principles of religion, morality, and the very person that you are or have been educated educated to become, and now you're faced with this. What do you do? Well, George Harrison removed himself from the intercourse of engagement uh, by uh, ending up producing all these uh, marvelous works, uh, um, All Things Must Pass, beginning with that and then moving all through Dark Horse and all the many things that he did. And his life is so interesting that uh, Martin Scorsese's apparently three-hour-long new uh, new documentary, which I think premieres tonight on the 1st of October, but it may have been yesterday, uh, the uh, last day of September on HBO, 2011. Um, his life becomes a great interest because as a great point that uh, David Zoll brought out to me the other day, he was in, his wife, who's still living, a marvelous person, was being interviewed, and she said, you know, George, people would say to him, what do you want to be remembered for? What, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you hope you'll be remembered for? And he would always, he answered, and she said it with humor. She said he answered, but he was utterly sincere. Why would anyone want to be remembered? Why would I want to be remembered? What, what, what is there about me that needs to be remembered? I mean, what a brilliant and ultimately profound answer that is. Uh, because if you think about what you want to be remembered for, you'll be remembered for the wrong things. I guarantee you that the obituary will stress something about yourself that that is entirely secondary to what you believe was the most important thing about you. You see this time and time again, you know. And so um, the uh, uh, even if you th thought you could construct a legacy, what actually you're remembered for is never the legacy. And plus you're not remembered anyway for any long period of time. Now, um, this uh, is really the question of the podcast. When you, and, and I'm talking to you, you the listener, you the listener, this match was meant to you. What is it about um, your frustrations in life or your principled stands or your dissonance or dissidents against and in respect to the, uh, the culture in which you are navigating this frail and fragile person known as yourself through the, the swim of overpowering circumstances that are opposed to your fruitful thriving and vitality as a person. What are you going to do? What do you, how do you live with that? Well, I myself believe that you can't fight it. Now, there are those who in very strong conscience believe that you ought to just do what you can do. You know, do like the Hindu, do what you can do. You know, that is a... Uh, 
Hey, hang on, I'm just going to cut this for a second. You know, it's so funny. I'm uh, uh, where I do this. I'm. Uh, I have a telephone in the background. So if the cable guy comes, as it were, or the Netflix account people call, or the uh, the Terminex, you know, who don't do a very good job, uh, they're constantly asking us to evaluate how their service was. You know, it's typical America. They, they ask you to evaluate their service before they've even done the service. And of course, when you actually say the service stunk, you did not solve our problem with millipedes. Then, ah, you know, it's it's just classic double message. But anyway, I've got a phone in the background, and that's great. Now, back to this extraordinary question. What, what do you, how do you do? Now, there's a whole school of thought that, um, that uh, goes forward and uh, just does the best you can. And you see that very powerfully expressed at the end of uh, Jacques Demy's uh, uh, 1969 movie, The Model Shop. Model Shop with Anouk M.A. and uh, Gary Lockwood. When he, At the very end, he sort of says, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I, can, I have to try to love. I, I, I failed with you, he says, with this person, but I can, I can keep trying to love. Uh, it's very touching. He, he, he can't do much, but he's going to try to do what he can do. And it has to do with persevering in love. And we all know that there's a real... Uh, convincing argument to be made about doing what you can do, even if it's not a lot. Um, my own view of when it, the rubber hits the road, however, certainly in an issue of sort of a world historical character and significance and weight like uh, the, the world of predator drones, then um, you really, the world is going to get you. You, you, you. you can put up your, your, what is it, you can put up your little finger over the parapet, but the machine gunners on the other side are going to blow it off and there's going to be a whole lot of blood spreading out of that index finger. Um, and so um, this is really uh, where you have to... Uh, did you see Dead of Winter? It's a 1980s film with Mary Steenburgen in which she gets her finger cut off <laughs> when she's put under as an actress. Oh, it's a haunted house movie of the extremist. See it, Dead of Winter with Mary Steenburgen. But you get your finger cut off. You, you tr- try as you like, you're going to lose. And if you're prepared to be... Um, to be destroyed, to lose your job, then speak out. This is the great history of whistleblowers. They always, uh, the press comes and says they're so great and they've done a great job and then they lose their jobs. They, you know, they, the, the world makes movies about them, Sally Field, you know, or what is it, it's Five Mile Island or whatever it is. You, you get, the, the whistleblower gets a, a movie made about her, uh, but then you find out that in fact, she lost her job and had a stroke and didn't have any health insurance, and uh, her husband left her. You find this all the time in whistleblowers, and so you often people would do better to not blow the whistle unless they're prepared, as I say, to lose your job and, and in sometimes your your life, because the world doesn't like uh, profits. And uh, so the question really, uh, as I see it, and this is what's always attracted me to the world of By Love Possessed by James Gould Cousins, when the hero is finally faced with the reality of life, this highly gifted, extraordinarily mature man who has all the maxims about, you know, one foot at one step at a time, baby, and one, you know, just do one, do a little bit of good here, a little bit of good there, and don't have too much high expectations and be realistic and do the best you can and all that kind of stuff and it still isn't enough to save him and Arthur Winter Jr. is still completely destroyed by revelations that come in the last hour of By Love Possessed and yet he with this great power of resignation and acquiescence he still determines in what we would call a stoic and cousins probably thought as an Epicurean, Democritan, Lucretian way, you still put one foot in front of the other and still persevere and go forward nonetheless well I don't believe that anymore, I don't think 
that's, I think the, for, the profounder view is to non-engage and uh, 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 evade. Uh, evade is not the right word. Don't, uh, I cancel that. Uh, avoid. Avoid, uh, that is to say, really uh, go into the mental equivalent of a, uh, the ultimate equivalent of what used to be called a monastic life, a withdrawal. I, I personally have come to that view, although I've, I don't sketch it out in full, and I break my own rule every time I go to Panera Bread. You know, every time I, I love Longhorn Steakhouse, and they have an amazing not too expensive, but really too expensive thing with all their waiters with their microphones and walkie-talkies. It's the funniest thing. But anyway, um, when every time I go to Longhorn Steakhouse or Bonefish Grill or whatever it is, I'm breaking my own rule. But in fact, I find when I'm faced with something like remove, I need to go to, I need to say, look, you can't win this. Now, I'm going to finish uh, by, uh, by, you'll have to see the George Harrison documentary, and I'm so looking forward to it. I'm living for it, but that will come soon. And Scorsese has spoken very powerfully yesterday, in a, I think it was an interview in the Times, but it may have been somewhere else, uh, about his uh, identification with this extraordinary man who finally really realized that the world is, uh, you know, we live in this material world, and all, it's all we can do is live, but don't engage. Don't engage with it on its own terms, that is. Engage on, on, with, with it on your terms, which should be the terms of, of, uh, of, of, of acquiescence, resignation, and actually transcendence and removal and non-engagement. That's my view. You may not agree with you, but I'm sure you have with that, but you may have something that you're pushing, some, you know, issue that's very important to you, mothers against drunk driving, or there are 100,000 issues. You may be wanting to change the law because of something that you yourself have experienced, and I salute you, and I don't want to deny that for a single second, but the irony is you may end up changing the law, but something about the changed law will end up cheating someone else in a completely different situation out of justice, because every time you do one thing, something else. There's always another side to what you do. Whenever you take the initiative and act, there's a karmatic opposite reaction that will affect somebody else. You may have gotten your form of justice, but someone else will, all of a sudden, 50 years from now, they'll say, well, you know, when we changed the law to accommodate this, something else happened, that the consequence of which was that. So I'm going to end by reading from Mark Rutherford. Now, Mark Rutherford is someone really to read because Mark Rutherford, whose real name was William Hale White, the late Victorian... Uh, novelist who died in Edwardian times, but <clears throat> the late uh, Victorian uh, novelist whom I admire so. Uh, Mark Rutherford uh, dealt with this issue. He dealt profoundly because of personal issues and because of theological background and because of uh, the way he was looking at a situation in his own life, a 40-year marriage to a woman he loved and to whom he was entirely faithful and loyal, but who had a, um, uh, a long, long-term disease. I believe it was a form of MS, and she could not, uh, she had to be carried. She was a complete invalid for the uh, many, many years of his marriage, and he, he lived faithfully, lovingly, and truthfully, and honoringly with this thing, but given the nature of marriage and the nature of human beings, uh, this was a checkmate of the highest order. He was a celibate male for so many years that he lost count, and all the different resignation and acquiescence and loving uh, um, uh, confessional truth of his uh, blocked psychosexual life uh, comes out in his books in a most winning and beautiful way, but he had to live with the fact that life had delivered this blow and there was no way that he could change it given the person that he was, and he wasn't about to change it, and he lived profoundly and beautifully, touchingly, and I would say Christianly. However, he had to come to terms with an insuperable situation, and the same 
a far more personal way than I'm having to come to terms with the fact that my fellow my Mitbürger, my fellow citizens are uh, infatuated with an un-American view that seems to have received total and complete reception. That is to say that our uh, security needs outweigh everything that this country was built on so that we uh, have the absolute uh, correct right to uh, uh, assassinate without any form of due process whatsoever uh, individuals from the air in a non-declared war. I mean, th that's the way it is, and I accept it, although I don't accept it. But I want to finish with, a, a, I believe, a very powerful quotation from uh, Mark Rutherford. Uh, many uh, – it's a very small group of people who care about Mark Rutherford, uh, but those of us who love Mark Rutherford are devoted to Mark Rutherford and have written about Mark Rutherford and meet together in strange places uh, every 10 years or four years or whatever it is. And <clears throat> let's hear it from Nick Wilde. Now, in the, um, the second edition, the preface to the second edition of the autobiography of Mark Rutherford, which was uh, William Hale White, a.k.a. Mark Rutherford's first novel about his life, in the preface to the second edition, he uh, states um, uh, the following point about uh, understanding what you can and cannot do and living with the inability not to engage, not being able to engage, and therefore moving on to other, we might call them more universal and uh, ultimately abnegating, negating, but also finally affirming broad truths so you don't get caught up in impossible uh, dissonances and dissonances which have no fruit attached to them except there may be some people admittedly for 40 years who can end up with the abolition of slavery. I'm totally giving way to a certain kind of person who seems to be able to do that. I'm not one of them but there are people and I, I really wish I were sometimes but it just is not in me to, uh, to be the tortoise and the hare. Um, this is what he writes. Uh, metaphysics and theology, including all speculations on the why and the wherefore, optimism, pessimism, freedom, necessity, causality, and so forth, are not only for the most part a loss of time, but frequently ruinous. It is no answer to say that these things force themselves upon us, and that to every question we are bound to give or try to give an answer. It is true, although strange, that there are multitudes of burning questions which we must do our best to ignore, to forget their existence. And it is not more strange, after all, than many other facts in this wonderfully mysterious and defective existence of ours. In other words, after all, there are many facts that, uh, there are many facts that we can look at, but there are enormous unanswered questions, as in how can a country in a mere space of 20 years uh, move uh, morally and ethically to uh, an overwhelmingly held view uh, that um, – uh, that these uh, predator drones are in some way uh, correct. Uh, so he finishes uh, by saying, one-fourth of life is intelligible. The other three-fourths is unintelligible darkness. And our earliest duty is to cultivate the habit of not looking around the corner. Well, I think that is of uh, tremendous importance for us, and I want to underline it. And uh, I want to simply um, put out my own view, which you, are, of course, will disagree with, I believe, that the best way to deal with an impossible situation like the 
um, running uh, heedlessly of an entire population to bless uh, a view of such mammoth un-American uh, inconsistency when it comes to the taking of human life without due process of law. Um, I can only say, you know, I'm not going to ask that question anymore. I've spoken about it, as my friend uh, Bob Whitcomb in Providence said. Paul, you bore witness to it. You've stated it. Um, no one seems to agree with you, or at least very few. A few do, but very few do, certainly not in positions of policymaking. And uh, I just say, all right, I've done it, give up, and move on to those questions which perhaps can, in fact, relevant to love, relevant to acquiescence, relevant to the one, relevant to some kind of uh, particular universal um, uh, opting out of the concrete into the ineffably um, ontic uh, final juice of electrical love, I mean, <laughs> boogaloo, electric boogaloo, I don't know what the answer is, I, the words fail me, words fail me, you know, but I do know that, that uh, effort has failed, and therefore uh, let's, uh, let's move towards gardening, like George Harrison, and my wonderful wife, and transcendence, and plant our persisting questioning in new and fresh and hopefully fruitful areas. Thank you so much, and God bless.